Well, if you have your Bible, let me encourage you to hold it up and repeat our affirmation with me. This is God's Word. It is a perfect treasure of divine instruction. It has God for its author, salvation for its end, and truth without any mixture of error first matter. It is the supreme source of truth for what we believe and how we live. Now open up your Bibles with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 9. 2 Corinthians chapter 9. We are wrapping up a three-part series that we've called The Cure. Uh, A deadly disease has infected our land. It spread across our land thousands of years ago. And everyone has been infected by that disease. And the result of the disease for everyone is death. But there's some good news. There's a cure. And the cure is 100% effective. Everyone who takes the cure will live. Now the disease that I'm talking about is sin. And sin began with Adam and Eve, the first man, the first woman. It spread throughout humanity and everyone is a sinner everyone is infected and the result is eternal death but there's good news God loves us in spite of our sin so much that he sent his son Jesus to die in our place so that we could be cured from sin and whoever places their faith their trust in him repenting of their sin will be cured from sin and have eternal life. Not just life in heaven forever, but a joy-filled life here on this earth. That's what God wants to give us. But here's what you need to understand. Once you experience the cure, you become a part of the cure. God expects you to become a part of the cure, spreading the cure to everybody in the world and we've been talking about three things that each and every one of us need to do the first thing is we need to serve in ministry we need to use the gifts and the abilities that God has given us to bring glory to him God has given each of us natural abilities he gave us those when we're born we all have them and God has given every single believer every born-again believer at least one spiritual gift And the Bible says we're not just to use those abilities and those gifts to to meet our needs so that we can make a living, but he gives us those gifts and abilities so that we can live the life he created us to live by bringing glory to his name. So we're to serve in ministry. And so I would ask you today, how are you serving in ministry? How are you using the gifts and the abilities that God has given you for his glory, for his honor? Last week we talked about the second thing that we're supposed to do and that is we're to share God's story, the gospel, and our story with the world. God's story is the message of redemption found from the first chapter of the Bible until the very last chapter of the Bible. We're to share God's story, the gospel. But one of the best ways that we can share God's story is through sharing our story, telling our story of how 
the gospel has changed our life. What our life was like before we came to know Christ. How we came to know him. What was the situation, what was the circumstances that led to us turning from our sin and trusting in Jesus. And what difference is Jesus making in our life today? We're to share our story. And so I would ask you this morning, how are you doing when it comes to sharing the gospel, God's story? And sharing your story, your testimony with the world. Are you doing it? Are you sharing with your your neighbors, your co-workers, the people you go to school with? Are you telling people what Jesus has done in your life? But today what I want us to focus on as we wrap this up is that God wants us to use our resources to build his church and expand his kingdom. And so if your Bibles are open to 2 Corinthians chapter 9, I want you to follow along as I begin reading in verse 6. Listen to what it says. Remember this. A farmer who plants only a few seeds will get a small crop. But the one who plants generously will get a generous crop. You must each decide in your heart how much to give. And don't give reluctantly or or in response to pressure. For God loves a person who, who gives cheerfully. And God will generously provide all you need. Then you will always have everything you need and plenty left over to share with others. As the scriptures say, they share freely and give generously to the poor. Their good deeds will be remembered forever. For God is the one who provides seed for the farmer and then bread to eat. In the same way, he will provide and increase your resources and then produce a great harvest of generosity in you. Yes, you will be enriched in every way so that you can always be generous. And when we take your gifts to those who need them, they will thank God. So two good things will result from this ministry of giving. The needs of the believers in Jerusalem will be met and they will joyfully express their thanks to God. As a result of your ministry, they will give glory to God. For your generosity to them and to all believers will prove that you are obedient to the good news of Christ. And they will pray for you with deep affection because of the overflowing grace God has given to you. Thank God for the gift to wonderful for words. Now let me give you a little background if I can as we start. 2 Corinthians 8 and 9 is really an appeal to the church at Corinth to give. Paul had been telling all of the churches that he had planted or he had had a part in planning to give generously, sacrificially, above and beyond what they were already giving to help the church in Jerusalem. The church in Jerusalem was going through a horrific time. There was a famine in the land. There was great persecution, perhaps more persecution in Jerusalem than any other place at that time. And Paul was encouraging all the believers to take part and in this special offering that was being given to help the church in Jerusalem. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, he he calls out the church in Macedonia as an example. He says that even though they had extreme poverty, they had nothing. Out of their poverty welled up rich generosity. In, In other words, even though... They were dirt poor. They had nothing to give. They found something to give, and they gave extremely generous. And that kind of leads us to what we want to talk about today. God wants us to be generous. How would you describe yourself? 
I mean, when it comes to your, your attitude toward money, your relationship with money, how would you describe yourself? Let me give you some words and you just think through them and see if they describe you. Frugal. Tight. Thrifty. Spender. Saver. Giver. Greedy. Generous. If you're being honest with yourself and you're being honest with God, how would you describe your relationship and the way that you look at money? The Bible says that we should be described as generous when it comes to our attitude toward money. Generously, generous, or generosity is used seven times in these verses. Seven times in ten verses. Now, depending on which translation you're reading from, there are different words that are used, but the point is clear. God wants us to be generous people because He is a generous God. And when we are generous, God blesses us. In Deuteronomy chapter 15, verse 10, it says, Give generously, not grudgingly, for the Lord your God will bless you in everything you do. When you become a generous person, when it comes to your use of money, the Bible says that God will bless you. God will pour out his blessings on you. Psalm 37, verse 21, the godly are generous givers. When we have a relationship with God and we are seeking to live our lives in a way that is pleasing to God, we will be generous in the way that we give. Proverbs 22, verse 9, blessed are those who are generous. Now, a generous person is one who sees their resources as something to use to help others. But a greedy person sees their resources as something to keep just for themselves. A generous person sees the blessings that God has put into their life as something that they can use to help others. A greedy person sees the blessings that they have in their lives as something to spend totally and entirely on themselves. Someone described it this way. There, there are two attitudes when it comes to our view of money. One is a bucket attitude and one is a pitcher attitude. The bucket attitude. A bucket is, is something that you can put water in. It's made to hold water. But if you look at a bucket, you discover that there's, it's not made to pour water out. It's made to just contain water. And that's how some people live their lives. They think that, you know, God's supposed to pour his blessings into me. And I'm to keep these blessings from myself. But then there's a pitcher mentality. A pitcher is different than a bucket. A pitcher is made with a spout, with something that you can pour from, so that you pour water into a pitcher, so that then you can take the pitcher and pour the water out into other containers. And the Bible says God doesn't want us to live our life as buckets where we receive blessing after blessing and we keep that blessing on ourselves. No, God wants us to live our life as pitchers where God's blessings are continually poured into our life, but when they are, we are automatically pouring those blessings out on other people. That's what the Bible teaches. 
the Bible teaches us that he, God wants us to live picture lives, experiencing the blessings of God and then pouring out those blessings on others. 16 of the 38 stories that Jesus told in the Gospels have to do with money. 16 out of 38 deal with money, possessions, and giving. One out of 10 verses in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, have to do with money and giving and resources. You need to understand, child of God, that your view of money and your attitude toward giving is a big deal to God. Now, I understand that giving is... It's just something that's uncomfortable for a lot of people. I mean, I've literally had people storm out of church when I preached on giving. That's how people can get. I mean, people feel pressured. People feel guilty. People feel all kind of things. But I want you to know that I would not be a good spiritual leader if I told you part of God's word, but I did not tell you the other parts of God's word. And if the Bible speaks so much about giving, and if giving is such a vital part of my life as a believer, then I better understand what the Bible says about it. And in these 10 verses, we learn some truths that I think really can help us become the generous people God wants us to be. Here's truth number one. The more generous we are, the more generous we will be able to be. You may want to write that down because it might be confusing. The more generous we are, the more generous we will be able to be. In other words, if you want to be more generous, then be more generous. And then you will have the opportunity to be more generous. Now, the Apostle Paul tells a story about a farmer, and he says a farmer who plants only a few seeds will get a small crop, but a farmer who plants generously will have a generous crop. In other words, you plant a few seeds, you get a small crop, you plant a lot of seeds, you get a large crop. Now, the first church I pastored was a farming community, and everybody either owned a farm or had a garden. I mean, you had one or the other. And so I learned, if I was going to fit in, I had to try to grow a garden. And I learned very good, I wasn't good very early, that I wasn't good at growing a garden or being a farmer. I just wasn't good at it. But I learned some things about farming, about growing a garden. And the first thing I learned is this, if you want a crop, you got to plant. If you want a crop, you're going to have to plant. I mean, if I, I want some watermelons... I'm going to have to plant some seed. I mean, I can't sit in my house and pray, Lord, give me some watermelons. I like watermelons. Lord, just let watermelons grow in my backyard. I'm here to tell you, chances are it's not going to happen. That's not the way God works. But if I get out in the backyard and I clear a little piece of land and I put some fertilizer on it, and I plant some seed, and I water that seed, and I tend the garden, chances are I can have some watermelon. And the crazy thing is, if I plant one watermelon seed, I'm not going to get one watermelon. 
I'm going to get a watermelon vine that comes up that has multiple watermelons on that vine. And if I plant multiple seeds, I'm going to get watermelon exponentially that I am able to eat and enjoy and share with other people. The more I plant, the more I get. That's a principle in life. The more you plant, the more you harvest. It's true when it comes to witnessing. I've heard people say, well, I just can't win anybody to Jesus. And you inevitably ask the question, so who are you sharing with? Well, I haven't shared with anyone. Well, kind of makes sense. You're going to have to plant before you harvest. Here's what I've discovered. The more people you tell about Jesus, the more people will come to Jesus. It's the law of the harvest. The more gospel seeds you plant, the more gospel seeds are going to produce salvation in people's lives. And it's also true when it comes to finances. In 38 years of marriage, Sherry and I have discovered this is true. The more you plant, the more you harvest. The more generous you are to God, the more generous God is going to be with you so that you can be more generous over and over and over. That's just a fact. And I want you to hear me. I'm not giving some health and wealth gospel here that says you give God $10, he gives you $100. Because if you're investing your money like that so that God will give you a return, your heart's not right with God. But I'm telling you that the Bible indicates very clearly that God will take what we give and he will multiply it. We see that throughout Scripture and we have experienced it in our life over and over and over again. When Sherry and I got married, we were dirt poor. I mean, we, we were. We are dirt poor. I mean, we were both young. We had one car. We didn't have a house. I was pastoring this little country church, going to school full-time, pastoring full-time. We lived in something called a parsonage. Some of you who are older know what a parsonage is. It's a house that the church owned that they allowed us to live in. And so praise God we had that parsonage. But it wasn't our house. We couldn't afford a house. We didn't have a house. And when we would go out on a date to Florence, we would drive to Florence, and there was this place back then. They had Jim Walters Homes. Jim Walters Homes were glorified trailers. They were, they were you know, trailers, but they looked like houses. And we would pass by this Jim Walters lot, and we would covet those Jim Walters homes. I'm, I'm not joking. Multiple times, we'd drive by and we'd say, one day, one day, maybe we can own a Jim Walters home. I say that to say we didn't have anything. The church paid us $198.50 a week, a little over $10,000 a year. Out of that, we gave $50 back to the Lord every week. We figured, okay, we're living in a house free. How much does that cost? We did that very generously and graciously in that neighborhood. And, and then we gave over and above because we decided that at the very beginning of our life together, we wanted to not just tithe, but we wanted to give over and above a tithe. And by the way, a tithe isn't just deciding you're going to give money regularly. It's 10% of your income. So we decided we're going to tithe. Could we afford to tithe? Not on paper. 
I mean, we didn't have the money to tithe on paper, but we tithed. We were so dirt poor, hear me, that when we went on our honeymoon, we had to do yard sales to raise money to go on our honeymoon. And we were so dirt poor that we didn't want to spend all the money on our honeymoon because we needed some things for our house when we got back. So we got back and had money where we could buy a chest freezer. We went to Sears and Roebuck, bought us a chest freezer. We still got that chest freezer 38 years later in our garage. They don't make freezers like that anymore, amen? They make them to break. They make them to break. Yeah, I'm not going to go there. But the point is, we had nothing, but we wanted to be generous. And so, we didn't have the money to give. We had to figure out how much breakfast would cost every day. A dozen eggs cost this. A pack of grits cost this. We can eat a pack of grits for two months. We, I mean, that's how we lived our life. But we were going to be generous in our giving. And oh, God blessed us. There was his family, Kenneth and Beulah Chapman. They called us up one week and said, hey, we want to take you to Columbia. We lived in Patrick. Columbia's the city. We want to take you to Columbia. And we said, great. They took us out to eat. And then they took us to a furniture store. And they said, hey, pick out some furniture. And we said, we can't afford furniture. I mean, we got hand-me-down furniture in our house. They said, no, we want to bless you. We want to buy you some furniture. Why did they do that? They did that because God was pouring out his blessings on us through them. Because we were being generous with our resources. We moved to Florida. And I'm not going to go into stories of what we had or didn't have there. But we didn't have a lot. And, and this guy joined our church a couple of months after we went there he was a banker who turned into a builder and a developer and he approached Sherry and I and said hey I want to build a house for you and we said that's great but we can't afford to buy a house he said no 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 you don't understand I want to build a house at my cost for you and we said you want to build a house one of your custom houses at your cost for us he said yeah I said go for it and so he built us a house. We sold that house and made money. And then he built us another house. And we sold that house. And we made money. And he is the person that opened the door for us to be able to own a home debt free. Why did he do that? He did that because Sherry and I were generous in our resources and God was pouring out his blessings on our life. I could tell you story after story. I want to fast forward two years ago. We're starting to go through our beyond, our campaign to get out of debt so that we can give a lot more money to planting churches both in the Midlands and in the northeast of the United States and send church planters around the world. That's our goal we don't want to go into any more debt as a church. We want to use our resources to win people for Jesus. And so as we were thinking about what we were going to pledge, Sherry and I came up with an amount that was a big amount for us. It was double. It was double what we gave when we relocated. So it was a big deal for us. But then before we ever made our pledge, God spoke to me. I mean, sometimes God speaks, and God spoke to me, and God said, double it. And I said, I already doubled it from before. No, God said, I want you to double 
what you were going to give. And I went home, and I'm so thankful for a wife that loves Jesus, trusts me, and has faith. And I said, babe, God's told us to double our, our pledge. And she said, if God told you, I trust you. Let's do it. And I want to tell you God's blessings. So my wife works for herself. And these past two years, God has so blessed her business that we're not only going to be able to double that gift, we're almost already there, we're going to be able to give far more than that. When you're generous, God will put other things in your hands, not so that you can build your own kingdom, but so that you can be more generous. And I want you to hear my heart. That doesn't mean that you can't use the blessings that God puts into your life to bless your life. That's okay. There's nothing wrong with having a nice house. There's nothing wrong with going on vacations. There's nothing wrong with nice things. There's nothing wrong with any of that. The question is, what's the most important thing to you? Are you living your life for you? Or are you living your life for the glory of God? If you want to be generous, become generous. And God will give you the ability to be even more generous. Gosh, got to go a little bit quicker. Second truth, generosity is a heart issue, not a bank account issue. Listen to what Paul said. He said, you must each decide in your heart how much to give. From the beginning of my adult life, I learned that giving wasn't so much about what you had in your account as it was what you had in your heart. Did you hear me? If I ever looked at our bank account to decide what we were going to give, I wouldn't give anything because we very seldom have much money in our bank account. And I want you to know that whenever I get paid or Sherry gets paid, we don't look at that and then decide what we're going to, look at our bank account and decide what we're going to give. We give what we know we need to give, which we've already determined in our heart we're going to give. And we don't let the amount of money in the bank account decide that. We let our gifts to God decide how we're going to use everything else in our life. Let me ask you a question. If God came and sat down beside you, and did a financial audit of your finances. What would he determine is most important in your life? Here's what I know. I want you to hear me. I know beyond a shadow of a doubt. That if God sat down with Sherry and I. And opened up our bank account. Our money. Our finances. He would see that he's most important. That doesn't mean that we haven't enjoyed the blessings of God. We have. But the biggest expenditures, the most important things, are directed toward God and his kingdom. Third thing, our generosity allows us to experience God's generosity. Notice what Paul says. He said, God will generously provide you all you need. I want you to write this down. Generous giving allows us to live our lives trusting God's gracious hand rather than our own to meet our needs. Did you hear that? Generous giving 
allows us to live our lives in such a way that we're trusting God's gracious hand rather than our own to meet our need. If I'm giving what I'm able to give, what I've determined I can give, I'm trusting me. If I'm giving what I know God's told me to give, what God has commanded me to give, what God has led me to give, even though it doesn't make sense on paper, I'm trusting God. And when we give generously, that is opening the door for us to live our lives in a way where we're trusting God to meet our needs. Paul goes on to say this, For God is the one who provides seed for the farmer. The seed comes from God. And then the one who provides bread to eat. God is the one who provides the seed you plant. God is the one who causes the grain to grow. God is the one who allows you to make the bread that you eat. God is the one who gives it all. In the same way, he will provide and increase your resources and then produce a great harvest of generosity in you. God blesses you so that you can be a blessing. Here's the fourth truth. Our generosity will result in people giving God the glory. Listen to what he says in verse 12. As a result of your ministry, they will give glory to God. Who's he talking about? The church in Jerusalem. The people in Jerusalem who are the beneficiaries of this sacrificial offering. Now what we could say for you today is that when you give your tithes and offerings through Northside, there are going to be people who give glory to God because of you. Let me give you an example. You heard Robbie Jackson's testimony a little bit earlier. Robbie and Holly first came to this church when we relocated in 2011. They would have never come here if people had not sacrificially given so that we could be at this location. But they were here because people sacrificially gave. And then in 2011, we had Tony Nolan come and speak. One of the big things in our budget is evangelism, reaching people for Jesus. And we had budgeted money to have evangelistic events and bring in evangelistic speakers. And we brought in Tony Nolan. And Tony Nolan shared the gospel and Robbie gave his heart and life to Jesus. Robbie would have never been saved if people hadn't given sacrificially for us to relocate. And people hadn't given obediently so that we could do the evangelistic events that we believe that God called us to do. Now, I don't want you to think for just a minute. There are going to be people in heaven who you've never met, who you've never talked to, that are going to come up to you, maybe, I don't know how it's going to be, but I kind of picture it this way, who are going to come up to you and they're going to say thank you. Because you gave obediently and sacrificially to Northside. I came to know Jesus in Egypt, in India, in Baltimore, in Miami, through ministries through the International Mission Board or the North American Mission Board. Because of you and your willingness to, to give money for a Thanksgiving box, I not only had a meal, but I opened up the Bible and began to read it and gave my life to Jesus. You never know what your faithfulness and generosity and giving is going to do in somebody else's life. You won't know this side of eternity, but I believe you will in eternity. Now here's the bottom line. Our generosity, Paul says, proves our obedience to the gospel. Listen to what he says. 
He says, for your generosity to them and to all believers will prove that you're obedient to the good news of Christ. Did you get that? Your generosity will prove that you're obedient to the gospel. In other words, listen to what this is saying. Your generosity is showing, it's proving that the gospel has changed your life. There are a variety of evidences that show that Jesus has changed our life. One of them is generosity. God is a generous God. His spirit comes to live in us. And when he does, he gives us a spirit of generosity. If we're selfish and self-centered, we're greedy, that's evidence that the gospel has not taken root in our life. If we're not trusting, we're living in fear, it's evidence. That the gospel has not taken root in our life. When the gospel has taken root and it's planted and it's growing, it's going to grow into a spirit of generosity. And so do you have that spirit of generosity? Paul said you will. If the gospel has taken root in your life. I want you to listen to what Paul said there at the very end. He said, thank God for this gift, too wonderful for words. What is that gift? It's Jesus. He's been talking about giving and how we're to use our resources to bless other people. But then he says, but you need to focus on the gift that's so great, words can't describe it. And that's Jesus, the gospel. And so my question to you this morning, first of all, is, Have you experienced that gift that's too great for words? Jesus. Have you experienced Jesus? Not do you know about him? Not have you heard of him? Have you experienced him? Is he living in you? Has he changed your life? Is your default different? Because of Jesus. When you come to know Jesus, the gift too wonderful for words, everything really does change. You're not perfect. We're all works in progress, and that's good news, amen? But you change. You change from the inside out. One of those things is you become generous. So are you? If you're here and you've never given your life to Jesus, I want to give you that opportunity. I want you to bow your head right now and close your eyes. With your head bowed, with your eyes closed. If you've never done this and you want to do that this morning, I want you to pray this prayer. Dear God, I humbly come to you this morning acknowledging that I'm a sinner. I've disobeyed you. I've lived my life as if I were God. I don't want to live that way anymore. Jesus, I believe you came to this earth. and You died on the cross so I could be forgiven. I believe you rose from the grave so I could have victory over sin.
And today I'm trusting you. And I'm giving you my life. Come into my heart. Take control. Fill me with your spirit. And make me brand new, I pray. Amen. And if you prayed that prayer and you meant it, God heard you. That's good news. But you've begun a journey. And we want to walk with you in that journey. And so in just a moment, we're going to stand. We're going to sing together. Our altar is going to be open. If you prayed that prayer, I want you to come. I want you to tell me. Let us know so that we can tell you what's next. Our altar is going to be open. Maybe you need to pray because you haven't been living generously. Maybe you want to be more generous. Maybe there's something else in your life that you need to just turn over to God. But this is an altar. We've made it into an altar where you can come and talk to God. So we want you to do that this morning. I want you to stand. I'm going to pray. And then we're going to sing together. Father God, this is your time. Have your way in every one of our lives, I pray.